welcome to episode 10 of Red Wings Rant, where tirades and passion pleas for your Detroit Red Wings finally have a home. That's right, right here on Red Wings Rant, brought to you by the Brothers of Discussion and the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, today, obviously, we're going to be drinking some juice. We're talking Christian juice today. Uh, what is <laughs> what is the expectation for juice? I'm not over to the Red Wings. Um, we'll get we'll get more into it, but obviously, a guy who spent some time in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh, has been bouncing around on the waiver wires. We'll see what exactly that means for the Detroit Red Wings. We also have uh, Ryan Lambert on today to talk uh, so much, including uh, getting you ready for the Detroit Red Wings upcoming season. He is a huge fan of NCAA hockey, so of course I had to rack his brain about Keith Petrozelli. And uh, we've also just got our regular games of Who's That Pokemon and what else we have going on. We've got the training camp. But uh, before we do that... <clears throat> Like always, we have an ad from uh, the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, this is the uh, Caps Trip Podcast, so of course the uh, Washington Capitals. Uh, so uh, strap in and uh, have a listen. So you like hockey? Congratulations. You're amongst the smartest sports fans in the world. Want to fight about it? Join me, the Hockey Troll, and that snack, Polly Cupcakes, every Monday and Thursday on the official Caps Chirp podcast, repping the greatest team in the NHL, your Washington Capitals. Not only do we bring you the best Washington Capitals coverage, but we've got the hottest takes and the tastiest content. Tune in wherever you get your podcast and at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Chirp us on all social media platforms at Caps Chirp. See you beauties and vendors there. Or anyway, Mike, welcome. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's uh, it just uh, really reminded me, uh, man. The big news today is Christian Juice, and uh, we got to hear Jeff Blaschel's take on that. Um, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, can we jump right in? Can we jump yeah, right let's in? Do, let, let's do our. Let's get everybody uh, juiced up. Uh, for the seat, you know, what's funny is I've been saying that every week we're getting people juiced up by doing our new on this day segment. Uh, so uh, hopefully we'll have some. Let's get juiced up. Uh, I guess I used to know. Be a fan of the show was like, I'll juice him up right now. Get <laughs> <laughs> him over. Woo! Well, this is this is uh, D Boss again. So we're celebrating our future captain uh, taking over against the Ottawa Senators a year ago. Uh, he's, he's not only going to put one in in regulation, Mike, he's going to help us out in the shootout. And, uh, th- this game did, Mike, have something else special in it, but, uh, we'll talk about bad that news. in a second. That's <laughs> really bad news. Way into the Ottawa zone. What's the really bad news? Uh, your sound was coming through the computer for some weird reason. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> no worries. More. But <laughs> that whole opening is just messed up now. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we're live. Man, we're live, buddy. We're live, Thank buddy. you. All right. Well, another psycho <laughs> sitting here on the Red Wings rant. <sighs> well, well, strap, strap in, Mike. For for here, <laughs> here, here's Steve Boss scoring against the Senators uh, uh, a year ago, and of course uh, helping out in the shootout. So uh, let's take a peek. Weaves his way into the Ottawa zone. Right in the goal. He scores. And then Dylan Larkin. It's two nothing. One that you wouldn't a couple of years ago expect to even make being down low by the goal line and being defended. Look at this. What There's Dylan Larkin. Weird. There's that shootout goal. Going wide right. Scores. 
And he, you know what? He got a piece of that, but had enough zip to get in the net. What did he hit? Oh, yeah. This was a super, super villain lark. You know, he started growing the goatee. Yeah. This was, this was earn that, earn that seat. score to keep it going, or the Red Wings win. Woo! Big the goal. Red Wings win. Three, two. Three consecutive home wins for the first time this season. Yeah, you like that branding right there? Yeah, buddy. Uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> I still have it playing in my background. Um, so, yeah, that, that was that was more or less. Uh, I, I'm thinking of coming up like uh, with, with a nice little article about when Dylan Larkin earned uh, earned that C. Uh, and that that's, I, I think it was all, you know, just a matter of time, even at, at this point last year. Uh, so, yeah, again, that was, it's so weird to write the date was, January 10th, 2020, because as long as everybody said 2020 was, Mike, to me, that was the fastest year of my life, <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know where what the fuck happened, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it it's like I woke up and it was 2021. But yeah, that, that, again, that actually happened in 2020. Crazy. But uh, like I said, just another moment where Dylan Larkin's earning that C. I thought it was uh, fun to celebrate. I, I haven't go like winding the clock back considerably with some of these on this days, but this one felt a little more appropriate because I feel like we're just, you know, a few days away from finding out uh, that they lost the C, and that's why he hasn't gotten it. No, I, I <laughs> still uh, we, we yeah, all know it's still, still waiting to see the the presentation style of the the big C reveal. Um, I really want Justin Timberlake again to come out, gonna have you nick it by the end of this song. And then he pulls a little catch off, and then like you know, there's a little white C. I'm I'm really fingers crossed for that one. <laughs> well, that's uh, well, being in Detroit, it might have to be Kid Rock or like Bob Seger coming out. But uh, hey, you know, get by the end of this song, yeah. <laughs> or like captain of the Red Wings. That's all I want to do. You know, oh, Bob Seger, Catman, do no. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. That was, uh, that was just to at least put that stamp on. Matt's from Detroit. That was my first concert. Bob, Bob Seger. Seger. It rock. Oh, okay. Oh, Bob Seger. Yeah. Now, I, what's funny is it feels better to say, oh, fuck no, was it Kid Rock? Even though they're like good buddies. But yeah, what, yeah. it was Bob Seger at... Um, what uh, what's that arena right next to, or or was right next to the Joe? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, Cobo? No, not Cobo. He was at a uh, yeah, like Sonic and I don't know. All the Pistons used to play there. I I don't know. I can't remember. Olympia? No, no, no. <laughs> what is that? No. Um, <laughs> it's where they did the uh, the auto show, uh, but it was the you know right next door. I can't remember. Somebody comment. Where's our Kobe, seven-year-old Kobe. listeners? I mean, Kobo was the auto show. Oh, yeah, Kobo. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you said? All right. Yeah. I thought you said Copa, and I was like, no, it wasn't Comerica Park. You said Copa. 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 Who says Copa besides those big <laughs> That's the hashtag. The hashtag Copa. That's what it is. Oh, man. That's, That's how you bleeding. say you're at Comerica Park. All right. Well, anyway, moving right along. Uh... <laughs> How do you transition from that? Well, somebody who's going to be playing hockey near Copa and where Kobo was. Yeah. I don't know. He's going to be miles away from where Kobo was. Uh, it's Christian Juice. 
Uh, <laughs> pick them up off waivers. Former seventh round pick. So it's uh, it's nice to see that that, that worked out for him. Uh, just goes to show you never give up on those seventh rounders. Uh, big uh, played a part for the Capitals winning uh, a Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, it's, it's, this is me stealing straight from the Detroit Red Wings. Five seasons, uh, North American Washington system. Uh, prior to being traded to the Ducks on February 24th, 2020, where, of course, uh, he's got those nine games that everybody's chatting about. I think he got three points. Uh, either uh, you'll mix it up somewhere, a goal and two assists or two goals and assists. It, it's uh, a <laughs> long, long story short here. Uh, this this is a guy that when you, you, you're going around and trying to find how do we measure the impact of a Christian juice on the Detroit Red Wings, the first phrase that comes to mind on most people's uh, articles is taxi squad. Um, Mike, I, I think it's either a mix of the Red Wings don't want to put their development talent on the taxi squad and, um, I guess hurt their, their development, uh, by, by not letting them play some actual games. You can throw them around, uh, European leagues, uh, the AHL is getting its shit together. So let's, let's find spots for that, for them to play in those places. And a Christian juice can certainly fill in a taxi squad spot. Um, a little bit better than, I don't know, I, I guess it, it's just one of those things. If you take a look at the analytic, analytics, which we'll, we'll take a short dive into that pool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the analytics look better for Christian juice than they do for Mark Stahl. So from, from that end, I, I just, it, it's not really like a no brainer to the point of this upgrades the team. But there's those reasons to make sure that your development guys are still being developed. They're your guys. You mentioned it, Mike, before the show started. I, I like that. Uh, so I'm stealing it from you as I continue to ramble. But uh, you want to keep your development guys developing and take somebody else's development talent. Or, uh, I mean, at 26, you're, you're definitely hitting that point where you're passing. Yeah, let, them, but, let, uh, them sit, uh, let them sit double parked on Woodward in case we get an injury. Um, right. so that's part of that Christian Jews taxi squad. I, I do like the idea now, now that you say it, that everybody on the taxi squad, like they're not really allowed in the arena. This is like when you have, you're at that workplace that you hate. So every lunch you take is just Taco Bell in your car in the parking lot. So they're just <laughs> sitting out there waiting to get that phone call to this come back good, into work. Yeah, this is a good time to do uh, the taxi squad. Uh, the nacho fries are back. The club chalupa is a hit. Um, exactly. The kids are loving it. Uh, <laughs> I include myself in that demographic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Christian Jews, I don't, I don't think he's going to win you any fantasy hockey leagues, but that's that's not really his job. I think he's just in there to play like 10 minutes, uh, just be a steady defenseman, and, you know, don't, don't you know, it's like, you know, you're going to just grow, go to Kroger, you leave the oldest kid to take care of the other kids, and look, just don't burn the house down. We're going to be back with groceries in like 60 minutes. We'll be right back. And you get back and, you know, maybe they started cooking and there's like a little a little bit of a fire. But, I mean, it was only 60 minutes and the whole house is not in, you know, in cinders and embers. So you're like, <laughs> all right, this is a good job by you. Um, I mean, like it's also said, another it's another name, too, where the guy is going to be fighting for that next contract. So uh, something that, you know, the notion that's been thrown about since since free agency period is not only do you have guys that you can move if you need to, a lot of flexibility still with another another contract coming aboard, a lot of flexibility with that juice. Uh, but if the guy wants to make sure that whatever's going forward for him, if, it, if it's him trying to get out of the AHL system and stay in the NHL, then when he gets those opportunities, 
you've got another guy on this roster that's going to play his nuts off. Yeah. I mean, look, the two, um, the two barrels that Iserman keeps picking his apples from, which <laughs> I like that analogy, but reference? it also, yeah, it also kind of has a little bit of an innuendo to it. So the two barrels <laughs> yeah. that Iserman keeps picking his apples from, uh, <laughs> he, he loves hoarding all the draft picks, right? All the, as many draft, he doesn't care what round it's in. Just give me draft picks. And then he also likes plucking like these 26 year old French players and being like, all right, buddy, you're right at that age. You're making like a million dollars. This is the last contract, right? You better, you know, show us something so you can get a real contract in your 30s. That's when you make your big money. This is physically when you're at your peak because you've got experience now. You can use that experience with your physical tools. Um, so it's just another another one of those 26-year-old apples uh, that Iserman's, you know, putting in his, his cart. And he's, you know, got his donkey taking him out to Little Caesars Arena, you know, to go uh, <laughs> maybe not be historically awful like last year so um I, I i thought you were going for with with the apple reference i thought this was going to be a low-hanging fruit opportunity and you're going to go for the uh, cider juice see uh see, my uh i gotta tell you Matt. Uh, <laughs> with uh we don't have preseason games uh it's just scrimmages um it's you know whatever sprinkles we can get from uh you know like max boltman's on the athletic um you know to kind of you know take a look behind the curtain and see how our team's doing. Uh, you know, we see uh, <laughs> it's basically one line. Uh, it's Larkin, Mantha, and Bertuzzi. And then, uh, you know, just just chaos after that. Um, but because of that, one of the things that they've been doing is these media sessions where they make poor Blaschel answer these questions. And uh, <laughs> I've never appreciated Blaschel more than that this past uh, couple days uh, when we uh, acquired Christian Jews. And uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna out the guy who asked the question, but he's like, uh, hey, 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 Jeff, I uh, just wanna, just, uh, just wanna congratulate you." Uh, <laughs> it's like, either Art Ragnar or Pat Caputo, or so. thank you, because uh, <laughs> the guys who write the headlines, oh, I bet those beat writers are salivating over the over the headlines for this guy, right, right, Jeff, and Jeff, uh, bless his heart. He did that emoji where uh, it's just kind of a like a thin, just kind of a flat, uh, like a plateau face. Hmm. Uh, and then he put in, he just put in like the smallest smirk that I can appreciate that you thought that would get a laugh from me, but I'm not going to actually <laughs> show my teeth for that horrible, horrible question. Um, and then the follow up to that was uh, no question. Same guy. No question. Uh, Christian Jews is NHL caliber, am I right? And Jeff, just total perfect deadpan, he said, well, he has been in the NHL. <laughs> so, you know, he's not burying him, but he's not saying, wow, we got a we got a top four forward or defenseman right here. You know, he's going to be uh, leading the power play. He's going to be leading the penalty kill. My God, what an asset. It's like, you know, yeah, it's cute. You know, his, his Jews, oh, you know, let's get some. Jews, Jews insider, oh, hilarious! You know, um, you know Jeff, <laughs> he just took like the the perfect uh, angle for that one. Um, and in the same Matt line of questioning, not related to Christian, uh, somebody asked Robbie Fabry, just unfit to play, uh, which I think we all know would probably happen, and it's going to happen a lot this season to tons of players. And it's you know, no, why? 
why would why would the head coach elaborate on that? We all know the situation. Uh, but Jeff just kind of deadpan and just said, yep, unfit to play. So he, he's dunking on the media right now, basically. <laughs> uh, he is 2009 LeBron James dunking on the media right now. <laughs> Um, just two-handed, uh, behind the back, bam, power jams. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been rough. Uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, no. uh, you know, I, we can talk about actual Christian Jews. I just, I feel bad for Jeff having to answer these questions about him. I, I will never stop feeling bad for Jeff. And <laughs> I mean, what this job has turned into over the last couple of years, like think, Think about, like, not only is it difficult to wake up every day and know that you have an entire city that's just waiting for you to get fired, you also have to try and make this work. Like, you're you're still, you can't just throw in the towel. I mean, you somebody could make the argument he has, but think about, like, I know we give him shit for all the line changing, but that takes a lot of effort, right? Like, how, how little effort does it take to say, well, I'm going to keep these guys together because we're building chemistry, where Jeff is going... Fuck, I gotta make this work. Anything. I don't know. Throw them together. Move Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi around. Move Larkin around. Move Manther around. Everybody. Everybody's moving around. It's just Kermit the Frog all over the place. Every day. And I, <laughs> I, would, uh, argue, yeah. I would argue he doesn't change the lines enough. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember, we sucked. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know. He's got to go to like a five star like uh, restaurant. I almost said diner. That's that's how low class I am. He's got to go to a five star diner, like a really nice Coney, you know, like the <laughs> nice one. <laughs> and uh, you know, he's he's got to like choose from like you know, uh, twelve different clown costumes, and he's got to wear a casino, like a casino level, like high roller uh, tuxedo. Um, it's just not possible. So he's just trying on different, you know, floofy buttons. He's trying on different plaids and clown wigs, and there's just <laughs> nothing. There's no tuxedo in that arsenal. So I think Eisman's kind of looking at the clothes that we gave him, and it's like, well, what did we think? There's there's no tuxedo in there. How's he supposed to look good at the the five star Coney Island? <laughs> so I don't know. I. I I'm not ready to fire him. And after that interview today, I'm 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 ready to give him another five years. <laughs> let's let's take a look at those numbers. I I, I just kind of uh, pulled together real quick. Um, yeah. I got to pull up a different window because it's way too tiny on my. Screen. Oh, I was going to make one quick point about the the lines. Yeah, uh, like we know, uh, Tuzi, Mantha, and Larkin are far and away a plus for Red Wings. Would you ever, Matt, and I don't know if we can do a line change uh, question here. Would you ever think about doing Larkin on the line, Banth on the line, and Twos on the line? Oh, splitting them up into three different lines. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, they, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, it's, it's not like, if, if we want to start out the season off right, you have to have those guys together because we saw in the scrimmages, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, how successful they were as a line. And Mantha, even though he's playing Team White, that uh, I also wanted to crack some jokes about how that Team Red was kind of stacked against Team White. But, um, you know, they still perform like they should. It would have been a lot worse if, if Mantha was if Mantha didn't look as dominant as he was. Yeah. Um, but 
I I just can't say no to anything. I I, I get why um, I get why Blashill gets all the flack uh, for for the line changing, but I still don't see why you can't just experiment with a team that's not going to win the Stanley Cup. Like I there there's those formulas. It's it's uh, and forgive me everybody, but I'm going to compare it to you know the other love that my brother and I have is pro wrestling. And, uh, Mike, it's been the same goddamn thing for, like, 100 years. And this year, and I'm going to talk about it in our interview with Ryan Lambert, but this year we got some cinematic matches. And um, I, I loved them. They're, they're like, you're, you're, it's like you're watching a movie, and I hope they continue forever. And, uh, you know, Ryan disagreed. He hopes it does go back to the same old, same old. But, I like, we watched so much of it. I need it, I need it to be – I need things to be different. So I, I just – to take that from a real sports perspective, when we keep throwing in, like, we have to fit in this formula for what works for other teams. Well, right now, we're not those other teams. And we're, again, uh, we're going to hear some crazy timetables from, from Ryan Lambert, uh, which I, I I hope Red Wings fans, uh, if, if they listen to it, they don't get too mad at him. He's, he's looking at, like, six to eight years before we're competitive. But, um, which is, that was, Jesus, that was scary to hear. But, um, like in the in that meantime, if you're looking at like us, we've said uh, five years last year. So now we're at three to four years, and for a guy like Ryan Lambert, it's like six to eight years. In the meantime, what are you, what are you going to do to figure things out? And you just you're just going to roll the dice. I feel like right. Like what do you get? What are you really getting out of these guys if they're not being tested with different players? If we're not trying to see where these other fits can land? If we're seeing you know. None of these guys are, are making that difference. Like um, when we put them on the ice, it's it's a guaranteed point every night. Uh, some of them are coming close, but we don't we just don't have that yet. Maybe we're going to find out we have it this year. Maybe we will. But until we do, I don't see the problem with trying to just throw things together and see if we can get some stability on the ice. And again, the counter argument is stability comes from building chemistry and having these guys play together. But I, I doubt that that when they're looking at this and they're trying to mix these lines up and trying to make like the third and fourth lines work, right? Because we 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 got destroyed in games because the third and fourth lines were just absolute dog shit. Not because the first line was any problem at all. So when you're trying to plug those holes and make sure that these games are at least watchable, you are going to move guys of the caliber of Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Mantha down to those third and fourth lines. Uh, or, I'm sorry, not down to the fourth line, but you're you're going to mix up those top two lines with the other talent down on the third and fourth line uh, just because, one, you have no choice because this team, even though it's it's still gotten upgraded, you know, it's still not something that we look at and say, well, Bobby Ryan's making the difference. It's just, you know, we know that. We, we, we know why Bobby Ryan's here. He's He's... Flexible contract, he's easy to move, and if he plays his nuts off, what a bonus for us. Um, so, I mean, long story short, I, I know this was a, a, the line change question, so it has to be quick, but I, I just, it's such a loaded question, right? There's so many different things that go into it. So if I just say, yeah, put move him around, I, I don't mind. Um, you know, it just sounds, it's it sounds like I haven't given it the thought, but we've, I need everybody to know that we've we've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, we have more people watching our YouTube channel now uh, than ever before. So it, it just goes along the lines of I I just don't see why the you know 
that regular formula that we all have in our head needs to stick around for a team that's going to struggle for not only, you know, not just the past few seasons, not just last season, not just this season, and probably not just next season. So play around with it. See what works. I think See. we all know Blashill's going to be gone at some point anyway, so let, let him play around. I, you know, uh, I want to kind of keep you on this train of thought because uh, one one item that kind of surprised me, uh, just kind of digging through, um, uh, you know, like some of the observations so far from camp, um, is they're experimenting with putting Anthony Mantha and Dylan Larkin on the penalty kill. My shock is not that that is an idea, but that we're starting that in 2021. Uh, I guess historically, I was just always thinking of our best players, uh, you know, forward wise, and especially because, you know, L L uh, Larkin and um, Mantha are, you know, really solid two way guys, you know, and they obviously can both score and, you know, defend. Um, so I don't know if it was just, you know, Mantha's had so many, you know, boo boos, we're not trying to make him have to, you know, maybe you know, stretch his capabilities where he's on a, you know, a shorthanded, uh, 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 you know, opportunity there. But does that kind of surprise you? I had to like double check the stats and be like, wow, Mantha really doesn't play penalty kill. But they basically, you know, said he's six, five, he gets to use his, he could use his reach. He should be an asset in that area. Um, is it just that, you know, we're not, we're trying not to give these guys 40 minutes a game or what's going on oh, there? How are they still not on the penalty kill? It's some actually uh, Ryan Lambert brought up in the interview that's coming up. So it, it, it does go along the lines of, uh, I call it the Seabiscuit syndrome when I was talking to Ryan. And it, it's, uh, you know, when they when they wanted Seabiscuit to, uh, to get back into his winning form, uh, they had him race against crappy horses uh, so that he could learn to be a horse again. He had to like win races. Remember, he was like running all over the track and stuff. Um, so they they train him up to to remember how to how to race again and and a lot of that goes into you wouldn't want him to go up against uh war admiral in uh in the first race uh cuz he did lose and then he like that's what he was trained to do before right he would go up against uh better horses and f be forced to lose so those other horses would do better go watch sea biscuit everybody but the point is uh, uh, and there's more variables that go into this than, than just the one question. One, you just gave Bantha a new contract. So, of course, he's going to be asked to do more. And, of course, he, the experiment starts with the guys who get paid the most. You're going you're gonna to be doing the most minutes. You're going to have the most uh, responsibility on the ice. Number two, we see a guy that's really come into his own the last couple of years. So when I talk about the Seabiscuit syndrome, it's not something where from the get-go – we didn't pick up Mantha for his, his penalty killing, but we've seen him become a smarter player. We see him learn how to use his body. He's obviously a tremendous skater now, and we saw that just starting. You could watch one game last year, watch him in game one last year scoring four goals, and you can see like a, an, an elite skater on the ice. And I really do mean elite. Like He really knows how to move his body around the ice. So once you can see that he can do that from either side of the ice. You can see he's not destroying himself when it's five on five uh, from, uh, you know, the Red Wings defending in, in their zone. So, I, like I said, there's a ton of variables that go into this. Number one is probably he's getting paid the money now. So, yeah, you, you got to go out there and you're going to you're going to try some penalty killing. We're going to see what this looks like. 
uh, you're going to have increased minutes because now you're on our penalty kill because you're getting paid. Uh, you know, you're, you're our top three contract. Um, but I think a lot of it too, is that he's come into his own. He's, he's learned a lot. I, I think um, we we've talked about like hockey smarts coming out of like all of our NHL draft coverage and, and how do you define hockey IQ? And a lot of people say it, it's tough to learn. Um, and that's why you want to draft a guy who's rated early on as having a high hockey IQ. But I, I do think it has a lot to do with experience. It's, um, it's something, I mean, why, why do jobs, why do workplaces, you know, despite you having a degree, why do they still want to see you have that experience? It's because that, that really does mean so much more than just what you can read from somebody's, just from their intelligence, because there, there is the actual play on the ice. There's the actual effort that needs to be put in. You have to see what that measured effort is going to be with the hockey smart. So I think all of that combined, now that he's got that experience on the ice, we know he's not a complete um, failure in the defensive zone, which that that's an overstatement there. I mean, he's, he's more way more than that. He, he is a positive impact from either end of the ice uh, for the Detroit Red Wings. So now with a team that struggles, you know, I mean, if, if we have Iserman defining our free agent period and our draft period as icing a team, I think we can easily say that, yeah, we don't necessarily have every piece in place. We all know that. So coming back to that contract, coming back to a guy who's coming into his own, an elite skater. And like you said, he has the size, like it would make sense that a guy with his reach should be able to make more of an impact than if we put a smaller guy out there. So go from that angle. But all of that combined, yes, he's he's ready for the penalty kill. Now again, uh, should he have been doing it earlier? I guess we could have tried it, right? Like I said yeah, in the previous question. Um, word. Um, I, I'm just I guess I honestly was just surprised because I, I just expected him because I, of how like how competitive he is and his size and uh, you know not, not a lot of players can easily just step up and get in Mantha's way, you know. Um but I could kind of see him pretty pretty uh it's pretty feasible to see him having success um in that department. So it's you should have had me take down the juice analytics that I never got to talk about um, a while ago, like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, we know he's, you know, you got to kind of do some deep cuts and he's uh, going to be more of a defensive defenseman and we'll see how many games we actually get him on, um, you know, for the Red Wings. But um, yeah, and I just want to come back to your, your original question. Like, would you, do you put Bertuzzi, Mantha, and Larkin on different lines? I think to I, I wanted to come back to that because I don't I don't think you're going to have three separate lines with them. It's uh, two of them are going to be on one line, and then there's going to be a mix up of of the third. I think that has there's a lot of potential for that to happen. Um, unless this line just from the get go, if Mantha scores another four goals in the first game, Bertuzzi's got another couple in the next. I mean, you just you can't break that up if it's working. Everything that I said about breaking them up just comes from if it's not working, I I really don't see the point in not trying to see well what is what does it look like when Mantha and Zadina are on either side? Let's see what that looks like. Does Zadina need Bertuzzi with him? Does Zadina need to play with uh the the caliber of Larkin at center to work? Like I like that those questions to me make perfect sense. Is is Bobby Ryan only going to play well if he's got like it, what if what if it was Bobby Ryan, Mantha, and Larkin, and that line blew up? Like, I just don't want to say no. We're not doing that because we have a first line. 
And I think that was the better way for me to answer it than to actually accidentally say, yeah, you put Mantha on the fourth line. And again, what I meant by that was, I think you can elevate those fourth and third and second line players to playing with Mantha. And then you, you're really just saying, all right, now that's your first line. But you, you're going to mix these guys around because you, you really don't have the, you don't have that winning formula yet. Yet, and you could still find it. You could accidentally walk into it. And with a team with this little of expectation, I, to my dying breath, will never have a problem with mixing up the lines, juggling things around. You know, it, it is to a point too, Mike. Like we saw Valtteri Filppula, and a year ago. Uh, it was you know, when I was watching those highlights for the Ottawa Senators game where I brought in Larkin's goal and then a shootout goal, Bernier gets that last save. That was also the game where Bertuzzi and Philpolo were throwing the puck at an empty net for about six seconds and couldn't put it in. So I, I'm not, um, that's nothing against Bertuzzi. Uh, what what I, I, I'm bringing that up for is just to say, like, we saw Philpolo struggle a lot. So yeah. when I when I make these comments about giving these guys these this time to play with Mantha, you get to play with Mantha. That's where I've already crossed off Philpla, right? Like we don't need to play that game anymore. I'm good. I'm fine. Let's move on. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I've definitely run into uh, what we wanted this show to be now when we titled it Red Wings Rant because yeah. uh, uh, I can't shut up now. Well, um, I just got one more for you because. Um, so far, you know, one of the other observations they talked about was uh, no, speaking of special teams, um, that the first power play would be, you know, Larkin, Tuz, and Manta, um, with uh, maybe DeKaiser and Bobby Ryan kind of running the point. Um, so it feels like, you know, definitely with with um, um, the dude coming back from injury, I, I don't know if he's going to be playing that many heavy minutes on, on the power play, but when they said Bobby Ryan, uh, would be on that first unit. I, I wasn't, um, I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, that makes me wonder, and I'm really excited for, my God, we're almost at the 14th for our first real effing game. I can't wait. Uh, who's going to be on that second power play unit? Um, I guess well, we probably saw- Fabry in some capacity, uh, probably Zadina. Uh, but I, I kind of thought Bobby would be on that line. And if he's he's with the number one, uh, who's kind of filling out number two? I, I mean, I guess we'd want to see Rasmussen get that shot. And I, if he's getting that opportunity on Team Red and he's on the second line, I got to think he's getting a real opportunity. So, I, I mean, you could pretty much just go um, throw Veronic on there if you're putting DeKaiser on that first one. And then you've got Rasmussen up front. Fabrian Zadina in some form, uh, you know, you do want to see Zadina set up uh, with that opposite side shot uh, in front of the net, kind of getting like an Ovechkin kind of set up. And and when we were watching those highlights for the Ottawa Senators game uh, a year ago, that's that was the shot they kept setting up for him on the power play. It just, you know, it just barely was missing and wasn't going in. Uh, so you're, you're asking who is that fifth guy to go in there? Um, I guess it depends on if you're asking Fabry to be the center. Because he he could take over that role, I think. If if you're looking at um, you're you're looking for the comparable to like filling out a fourth forward in those spots. Because again, Zidane has got a shot, so you, it's not going to hurt to have him set up. Uh, you know, to to get his shot set up on the outside perimeter, or uh, at least at the top of the circle. So, I I gotta say, if if we're filling out a center, 
I know people have thrown out um, Gagne, but I don't. I, I know he's it's not my first choice. I think it's just something like maybe it ends up having to be Phil Bula because I, I mean, again, we know where the talent level's at on this. I think. I think this just means we have all the opportunity in the world to just figure it out. And if Fabry's successful at center, I think you absolutely just keep that rolling. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any reason to come up with like playing around with that. But I, I, one name I, I, I think I've not thrown out but should have is Nemistikov. Would be a great great name to throw in on that power play. He's a guy. He, he is your utility man. He can do absolutely anything for this team. Uh, he's not going to be... The greatest of all time. He's not your goat, right? But whenever you need him to fill in a spot, that's where Nemistikov's going to get filled in there. Um, I, I would love to see Nemistikov get that shot. Uh, I just, you know, I, I think one of the more fun ones too, and it's really just anything that isn't putting Nielsen in a spot to fail again. As long as he's as far away from any decision making, I'm cool with that. I think it would be cool. Like uh, we were talking about, how long did it take to give Mantha, you know, that shot on the penalty kill? Let's go yeah. the opposite route. Let's give Clint Denning a full time, you know, give him full time on the power play. Yeah, yeah, baby. Woo. Oh. Like you and I joked about it last year, but his analytics always spoke to the fact that he's a, a defensive zone. Like, what was it? Like most of the time it was 70% uh, like individual games. If we were down, he ha- he would have a 70 to 80% defensive zone start. So it's right. just, it was crazy. Like what he's asked to do. Uh, so, you know, let's give him a bone. Let's give him a shot. But I think the more obvious answer is just throwing in like an Amistikov in that spot. Um, and like I said before, Gagne seemed to be a name that has already been getting the time in the training camp. So throw him out there. But yeah, uh, uh, the, um, uh, I forget. Is that, was that your answer? We just wanted that the fourth forward getting tossed in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you know, the way they've been setting it up, um, uh... You know, it hasn't been two defensemen. It's kind of been that that look with uh, four forwards. So, yeah, I mean, we'd be looking for the Red Wings' top eight forwards uh, to help fill out that power play. So, um, yeah, definitely what I was looking for. Um, so, uh, Mike, we're at uh, 40 minutes now. Um, we did it again. Gosh, dang huh? it. We did I that know. again. Dang it. We, okay. we have an hour-long interview coming up <laughs> with Ryan Lambert. <laughs> Uh, all right, everybody. Well, here you go. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really thought we could have knocked today out with like, oh, you still have a who's that Pokemon, don't you? Oh, I'm ready for it, buddy. All right, everybody, it's time for Pokemon. And yeah. So what we do every week is a cherry pick a quote out of head coach Jeff Blaschel, and Matt has to try and guess who. Jeff Blaschel is talking about. Matt, we actually have a new one this week. Very exciting. We didn't have to go into the archives of 2020 or 2019. Matt, are you buckled in? We have guest friend of the show, Paul Woods, ready to read. Here we are. Matt, are you yeah. ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. This is a recent quote about a current Red Wing. Paul, take it away. Oh, very excited to be here. Michael looking very handsome as usual. Look at that great hair blowing in the wind. Matt, Wearing a hat. So here we go. This is a quote from Jeff Blaschel. Uh, here we go. Blank is a talented player who's good at everything. In his case, he's got a real complete game. He can pass pretty well. He can defend pretty well. He can play on the PK. He can play on the PP. Real quote uh, from Jeff. I Blaschel. hope. I hope to God after I just touted him, I, I'm going to say Nemistikov. 
Now, you don't have to jump into your answer. If you want to marinate on it, you know, you can take your time. That's, this is a recent quote, right? Should I, can I get that in it's writing? A, it's a recent quote. You okay. got it in, in writing. I'll send you an email. Okay. All right. Well, I guess, yeah, it could also be Anthony Mantha, but I just thought it would be fun after I just talked up Nemistikov if it was Nemistikov. It could be, it could be any, I don't know. It could be Bertuzzi. That's such a, I just wanted it to be Nemistikov because I just brought him up. All right, I'm sticking with the Mysticoth. That was the first thing I said. Well, Matt, you know, winning streaks are made to be broken. Matt, you're you're a loser again. It was a <laughs> uh, new defenseman uh, all the way from Las Vegas, John Merrill. Oh, all right. Uh, cool. I picked the quote because uh, it's just some positive stuff. We got another defensive defenseman, and then uh, it just made me giggle when Jeff Flashel said, he can play a on the pee-pee. So, there you go. <laughs> Another exciting edition of Bullseye Pokemon. Hey, now I can tag him on, on our YouTube show. Yeah. <laughs> John Merrill. Anybody searching for John Merrill, you just come here for that one little snippet. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, coming up, so strap in. Uh, we had a lot of live viewers today, and they, they, they stuck around to listen to me ranting about trying to figure out which one of our players is going to be on the second line power play to be a fourth forward? We can't wait. We're only like four days away from finding out who it's really going to be. Maybe it'll be well, John, John Merrill. He can play on the pee pee. He can play on his pee pee. All right, Mike. Right. Now, what we have coming up is uh, a conversation with Ryan Lambert from Puck Soup. Uh, I'm going to do all the intros in a second here, right when I start the interview. So there's no point in me going too deep. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing this. I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, oh, you know what? Shoot, I didn't put uh, I didn't put the audio on, so I'm just gonna keep jibber jabbering. So everybody, thanks for tuning in, um, and we're just gonna end the show right after this. So uh, enjoy that interview with Ryan and uh, Mike, and I are gonna go shower and get ready for the. We're not showering together. Um, we're in two different. Oh, man. We wouldn't be against that, but um, you know, just shower. to save water and whatnot. Shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all right, I got that audio queued up. Uh, everybody, enjoy the conversation with Ryan Lambert. I promise he, he is a gentleman and a scholar. A lot of people get angry at him. All right, everybody. As promised, we have the man bookended by a T-Rex and a Brachiosaurus who uh, sticks to sports only in selecting podcast names, keeps wish and check on Puck Soup, and provides us all up to date, or keeps us all up to date with his Puck Soup newsletters. He is at Two Line Fast on Twitter. Support him uh, and uh, the Puck Soup podcast at patreon.com slash Puck Soup. And uh, join the Discord, uh, Discord and follow along with uh, his dialings on that uh, previously mentioned newsletter. He is Ryan Lambert. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. What's up? Yeah, I, uh, I did have uh, Wish on a couple of weeks ago. I just found out, uh, as, as we're representative of uh, the Hockey Podcast Network, that uh, we're lucky enough to have Down Goes Brown supporting uh, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, podcast. So we're, we're just completely... Feeling uh, the puck soup team, so we, we couldn't be happier to have you. Yeah, finally, people get access to our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, uh, unfortunately, we're not. I'm sure there isn't anybody that's listening to uh, the Hockey Podcast Network that isn't completely familiar with your work. Uh, but uh, we still like to play the games here on uh, our icebreaker section. That uh, we we do assume everybody knows who you are, Ryan, and we want everybody to get to know you as a person. You know, like uh, I'm sure you're you're tired of, of everybody just immediately getting angry at the, your your hockey opinion. So let's uh, let's show them the you know your your human side, right? I, I I like to think that there's 
there's a good opportunity here for people to go, I should stop being such a dick on Twitter. <laughs> that is, that's never occurred to me, but. Okay. <laughs> I I got to say, I, I, I can't post a meme without being critiqued. So I, I, mm. I, I hope, <laughs> I'm glad then that it might be a little bit easier for you. So. Uh, here's here's my four uh, icebreakers. Uh, so I, I want you to pick one here. We okay. can do uh, video games. Uh, we could talk best picture nominees, uh, pro wrestling, or if you'd like, we can talk uh, penalties and sentencing for leaders of treasonous terrorist groups. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> it's it, that last one's so tempting. It, I love talking about it. Um, I think I'll go. I'll go with best picture uh, All right. nominees. So to, to kind of set this up, to make this more of a selfish perspective for me, uh, my wife and I, we're like notorious. We, we are always binging uh, whatever's nominated for Best Picture. We let other people tell us what movies to watch. Yeah. Uh, but in this past year, we've, we've missed everything. I went through like uh, Variety Magazine was listing uh, their top 20 movies that could win Best Picture. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a single one except for Soul, and that's because I have a one-year-old at home, and uh, sometimes yeah. you let him watch TV, and it's 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 a toughie. So uh, I don't know if you saw that Variety article. Uh, not many people do read Variety, <laughs> or at least in yeah, my I, I didn't I didn't see the article, but I am um, kind of notorious, I guess. Uh, maybe that's not the word, but. Uh, when when you're like able to go to movie theaters, I go at least once a week. Absolutely. So uh, I have seen a you know I, I'm I'm a big uh, movie guy, I guess you would say, and so I have seen a pretty good chunk of what I think a lot of people are saying will be, uh, you know, best film nominees. Um, I obviously the Oscars won't be announced for another. Uh, month, I think probably maybe even yeah. I think more than I think that, it's because the first week of February. Well, they pushed them back this year. I'm pretty sure because they were like, you know, everything going on. Um, <laughs> I wonder but, why that. Is. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm so I don't know when they're going to be announced. But I've seen a fa- not a like huge number, but I've I've like actively sought out several that are probably on the variety list. Well, I'll throw this out there. If there's one that uh, my wife and I absolutely have to watch, what uh, and this this could be what do you think is going to win Best Picture, or what are you just saying is Best Picture so far? You could you could take it from either angle, but uh, yeah, what, what what do you have in mind? My favorite film of 2020. Uh, it, it's a it's a movie that was on Amazon for like two bucks, but it's called The Nest. Um, it's uh, it's Jude Law being uh, untrustworthy, but like kind of charming about it, and Carrie Coon being really mad That's at like Jude, uh, and and like disillusioned with her life. Carrie Coon, and it's like those, yeah, like you said, those are the two things those people are extraordinarily good at playing. And yeah. there's basically like three other characters in the whole movie. Um, it. Yeah, it, it was insanely, insanely good. Like, in just two tour de force performances, that kind of thing. Um, what else did I see? I really liked First Cow, the uh, the movie uh, about the first cow to come to this, like, settlement in Oregon in the 1800s. And, um, oh, my gosh. It's... 
Uh, I don't like. I never want to say too much about movies. Like just what I like. I'm not trying to sell you on. Well, here's yeah. everything that happened. Um, another <laughs> thing about me is uh, I don't like watch movie trailers and stuff like that if I can avoid it. So, like, I'm very like I don't even want to tell you like, you know, more than oh, there's a cow in it. You know, hence the name. Um, I, that's enough for me. I, it's, I think. I, it's a joyful movie. Um, really, really great. Uh, what What else did I like this year? Um, hmm. Do you happen to catch uh, so that that list on Variety gave me uh, Nomad? Yeah, just Land. run me down the list. I'll, yeah, Nomadland, uh, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Minari I, were the the top three. I don't know Minari. Trial of the Chicago Seven is like Aaron Sorkin, which is not really for me. Um, gotcha. And and uh, it, am I mistaken in thinking No Man's Land is the new movie by the woman who did The Rider? Um, and like Francis McDormand is in. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so so that movie uh, I'm dying to see. The Rider was one of my favorite movies. When, uh, whatever year that came out, 2017 or 18, I think. Um, but uh, that will not be even available like to stream until May, I think they said. So I'm I'm like run through a wall ready to see that movie, and they just aren't making it available. Um, I have a couple of friends who are like the kind of people who get screeners and stuff like that. And Ooh. I have said to them, you know, w- when you get your copy of No Man's Land, <laughs> you are mailing it to me after uh, after you watch it. Because or I the, need to see that movie. Or the threat if you find out they have it and you didn't get it. Yeah, you're coming for him. I, I do have yeah. two follow-up questions, though. I, I do like what you say about movie trailers, uh, because my friends and I have argued about this for a very long time. But, let, I mean, take something like Star Wars. Is there... Yeah. Do, do you really think anybody's seeing a Star Wars trailer and making the decision, all right, I, I'll go watch this? Like, Yeah, no, it's... I, the, the, reason, the reason... That used to certainly be the the reason like the way people made a decision about a movie apart from like you walk by the poster and you're like oh Tom Cruise is in this one great right um, but now it's so people can like post a screen cap and be like does this mean this is happening in this Marvel movie and that kind of stuff and like right. what the what the trailer does and has done forever is it takes four or five of the like 10 best things in the movie and they go here it is completely devoid of context and then when you see it during the movie it's like well that's not as fun now like it would have been cool if i had to go back to your star wars point like if i had seen the ruined death star uh on endor um in in the last or uh, rise of skywalker right i'd have gone oh that's cool Wow, great. Instead of going, well, I know there's a freaking Death Star in this one. That sucks. Um, right. Or, I mean, uh, that, movie, that movie was terrible, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that that's one thing I, 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 you know, I could talk for, for hours on. Uh, we, have, we have a good friend. So this is, this is hosted by uh, the Brothers of Discussion. So we also do pro wrestling. But uh, we, we, the Brothers of Discussion have a good friend who's a huge Star Wars fan. 
And uh, for whatever reason, we can't get him to admit that uh, that that Rise of Skywalker is, is almost unwatchable. Uh, I love. Star I tried. Wars. I I've seen every you know the first three a million times. I saw Episode Seven like five times in theaters. I was just, I'm yeah. just like dialed in for it. I, I was like laughing out loud at how bad that movie was. You know, first <laughs> showing opening night, like at the. The entire audience is like laughing out loud. It sucks. It's so. Oh my bad. god! <laughs> like I, I mean, I, I'll be one that uh, I, I think a lot of folks have have pulled back because I, I was all for um, the Last Jedi. You know what? I, I'll be, I'll be that hot take guy. I'll say, you know, what? that's my new favorite Star Wars movie. But there, there, I can't even, I can't even turn on Rise of Skywalker. It, no. It's uh, and, and you start seeing Lando. Yeah, Last Jedi. I invite you to revisit it. It's not that good either. Um, like I, I, I agree with you. I liked it at the time. I probably saw it three times in theaters, and every subsequent time I saw it, I'm like, boy, there is like 50 minutes in the middle of this movie where nothing happens, and it's just people yes. standing around frowning at each other, and it's like, fucking swing that lightsaber around. Can I swear on this? I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So fucking swing a lightsaber around something. I I think I think what sold me for it on opening night was all the potential and possibility, but absolutely what kills it now. And and I said this walking out of the theater of Rise of Skywalker was well now Last Jedi doesn't fucking matter. It's it's out well, the window. And, and I mean that's really that's ultimately the problem with the entire Disney trilogy, right? Is the right. first movie the opening line of episode seven is, you know, something like now we can fix it. The implication being, of course, that like the prequels trilogy was terrible. We all agree. And, and here's JJ Abrams and he's just going to basically redo, uh, episode four. And I was mostly there for it. I, I like I said, I was very excited at the time. They freaked Absolutely. In, you know, flew the millennium Falcon through, uh, a Rex Star Destroyer. Uh, the 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 fight at the end, the lightsaber battle at the end, rocked. You know all that stuff. Cool. Uh, but then the the second movie, Ryan Johnson was like, a bunch of the stuff in that last movie was stupid. It doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. <laughs> right? Like that's literally. Yeah. You know, Luke Skywalker throws the lightsaber over over his shoulder, and he's like, actually, uh, Star Wars mythology is uh, is bad. And I was like, I mean, that's an interesting way to take it. And I'm interested with where it goes. But like, you know, Leia flying back to the ship and all this stuff on Canto Bite and, and the little stupid um, one-legged I, scooter thing at the end. Like, that sucks. <laughs> and I'm disappointed in Disney for not creating some sort of Las Vegas tie-in with that. I mean, how is yeah, there not well, a resource? gone up well then they, you know uh this is kind of beside the point but like right. I, you know i went to the i went to disney world a couple of years ago i went to uh edge of edge of galaxy and uh yeah it's another fucking desert planet you know like come on <laughs> it's like it's only desert planets one in every four planets in the star wars galaxy is a de but then anyway <laughs> point is episode right. nine they're like all the stuff that happened in the last jedi that sucked too. We're going back to the thing that he said sucked, but uh, now we're actually making it even worse. And like, you have to play uh, 
Fortnite to know 100% what's going on. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I mean, I think you, you, I think we're seeing here this could go on for hours, and I yeah. know the Frederick fans listening are super psyched. Uh, but I, I still, I'm going to, I'm going to still make them mad for one more second. Cause I, I have to ask you, cause I, I do enjoy listening uh, to you and Greg talking about pro wrestling just real quick. Do you want to see cinematic matches continue in pro wrestling going forward? Once fans are allowed back in arenas? No. Oh my God. They were all, all of them have been awful. Oh, I, no. I, I take that back. I take that back. Let me take that back. The <laughs> one that was good was John Cena in the uh, Firefly Funhouse. Okay. Uh, I can, that, uh, that was I'll, actually really cool because it was like a postmodernist deconstruction of like John Cena's wrestling persona. Oh my gosh. Like rocks. you could put that up in an art museum, that match. I, that, I wouldn't that go should, that far. I'm but, ta- oh, I would, I, I would watch it. Uh, some of the garbage I've seen in some museums, I would say it would fit. But with that <laughs> having been said... I mean, how many cinematic matches? The the last man, the Edge, uh, Randy Orton, last man standing. Oh, match. well, yeah, that was garbage. Unwatchable. Eight hours <laughs> long, and it was just <laughs> you guys going, ugh, ugh, and then lying down for four minutes. Uh, it was terrible. Um, uh, Did the, you have the, the pleasure of watching Randy Orton burn the fiend alive? I did. Uh, the only re- so the only wrestling I watch now is pay per views. Um, gotcha. And so, like, I. You know, they'll just be like, oh, here's this guy. He's contending for the NXT title. And I'm like, I've never seen this guy in my life. Okay, sure. <laughs> Whatever. I don't Like, what am I going to do? Watch eight hours of wrestling every week just to, like, know what's going on and then be disappointed at the end of the month? You're you're and you're you're speaking to a guy that watches, like, 15 hours a week yeah, and hates, I hate watching believe at this me, point. Believe me. <laughs> I, as a teenager, the Attitude Era, all that stuff. I was you. I was watching WCW Saturday night. I was 100% a wrestling pervert. Yeah. But, like, I, I'm i 38 years old, man. I can't do that shit anymore. <laughs> I'll, uh, wa- I'll I, watch for three hours. My girlfriend will frown at me once a month, and that's fine. My, my wife right now, I can feel, like, in the future, I can feel her, like, either capturing this part of the video and replaying it for me. Every time I turn around, she's going to say, see, you have a baby now. There's another one on the way. Cut this shit out. All right. Yeah. No, um, like, I, I actually, back when Deadspin, before it was bad and, like, evil and stuff, uh, I wrote an article for Deadspin about, like, it actually makes me enjoy wrestling more because I'm not like, oh, shit, I got to watch four hours of this garbage like I just I drop I drop in if a match sucks okay I'll never think about it again and if a match is good I'll be like that rocked that was cool okay see you later you know like I've I've seen every WrestleMania like prior to WrestleMania like fifteen or whatever a hundred times so like I get it but also I'm giving you a way to improve your life here thank you no I. Uh... Uh, I, I'm sure. So my plan was to actually take this and maybe throw it into our wrestling podcast and go, we had Ryan Lambert. Uh, but I'm sure everybody's going to be thrilled to hear how much I hate watch pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, right. I've seen four AEW shows ever. It rules. Yeah, no, it, it, it is super fun. Uh, but man, like the life that you lose. But I, I do think there, there was, uh, uh, I wrote the, to bring sports into this finally. 
about that? Uh, Resting is forced, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's still real to you. Um, (laughs) I love that gif. All right, uh, where was my head going? Uh, I I did take a look at and uh, wrote extensively. This is one of my my favorite articles I've written. Was about uh, brand loyalty in sports and especially in pro wrestling and how like that investment in time turns us into these monsters. And and it comes back into sports because uh, like I mentioned before, people like being ridiculous on Twitter and coming back with these <laughs> insane. Uh, retorts or these notions of what you should be thinking in regards to their favorite team uh, all comes back to all this investment in time and how we build up these these false truths, uh, which, oh boy, talking false truths, isn't that relevant in today's society? But anyway, um, it, it all comes back to like, you, you need to keep just proving to yourself that you haven't wasted your time. And um, I, I think that's where that article came from, because I'm speaking to you now saying like, if I never watched another minute of pro wrestling, I'd be, I'd be okay. Yeah, you'd find other things to be obsessed with. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now I got to be obsessed with uh, Keith Petrozelli here of uh, Quinnipiac University. Um, apologies to Quinnipiac if I didn't get that right, but there's so Quinnipiac, many eyes in there. You're so close. So close. <laughs> Quinnipiac. Piac. All right. See, it looked like it looked like I could run through it fast enough and get away with it. Uh, six foot five, hundred eighty-five pounds for me, and I think uh, we all saw. Uh, we've we've just been chatting Elmer Soderblom even before the World Juniors started. I don't know how much you saw that, but the argument we make on our show is uh, you can't you can't teach six foot eight. So yeah, give him a shot. But same same thing with Keith. I mean, six foot five. He's got to get some beef on those bones, but. Uh, that, that's something to be excited about just from the size. But uh, what, I, what I was hoping to talk to you about is, is what you see. Like, we could talk the stats. I have uh, listed here that he's, he's something from a prospect perspective. Like, you couldn't ask for more. The, the year-after-year uh, increase in save percentage, 892 to 904 to 920 to this year being 931. Like, you, you, you hope to see these kids improve. And how, what other argument could you make than that save percentage? But well, um, you're actually watching these games, so I, I wanted to get uh, wanted to get your opinion on him. Yeah, so I haven't seen him play. Uh, I think he's played like two games this season. So like, the, I wouldn't put a ton of stock in that nine thirty yet. <laughs> um, like you know, the, the they're with COVID and everything. They play in a yeah. conference called the ECAC. The ECAC includes. Um, all the Ivy League schools and then a few in upstate New York and Connecticut. And that might be it. Uh, uh, yeah, but all the Ivy League schools said, we're not playing hockey this year. Um, RPI and Union, which are both in upstate New York and the ECAC, they said, we're not playing this year. So this 12-team conference uh, very quickly dropped to four teams. And so... Uh, you know, Quinn ABX just going to play the same three teams, I guess, 15 times each this season. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, but they, they're they just getting their season started in the last, like, week or two, I want to say. Oh, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, college hockey's been a huge mess this year. There's, like, um, you know, there's uh, some teams that have played, like, 15 games or so. And like BU, which has a, I think at least one Red Wings prospect, 
um, hasn't played any. Literally has like barely even practiced because of how bad COVID was on campus and around Boston and what the rules, the school set were and all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, all that having been said, on the one hand, you're right. Like you, you like that you should like the Keith Petrozelli who came in as a pretty good, highly regarded goaltending prospect, uh, as these things go. Um, First two years, not very good. Eight, uh, 890, terrible anywhere you're playing. Um, right. Not, I mean, he fit right in uh, with Trey. Yeah, that's true. Um, Jimmy Howard. Yeah, bring in that 892. <laughs> yeah, 905, like, that's a little bit less than average in college hockey. I think it's usually like 907 to 910, nationally speaking. Um, and then it can, it can vary a little bit. Uh, within conferences like Hockey East always has like the highest save percentage in the country and the NCHC is next and then the ECAC usually, and whatever. Point is, uh, Petruzzelli went from bad to average to well above average um, and that, like you said, it's better than the alternative of like staying bad or staying average, but right. what I would caution against is you know, these are guys who I don't I don't know off the top of my head how old he is. I'm gonna say he's probably like 21, 22 years old at this point, right? Twenty one. Yeah. So when you are that age, you should be better than now. Granted, like college hockey, you can go, you can be anywhere from seventeen to twenty five. It's a really weird, like broad yeah. uh, age group. Um, but you know, he's right around the middle of that age group and probably, you know, the 25 year olds and even like guys who are even 24 are pretty rare. So he's like on the upper end of how old college hockey players are, I would say, um, or at least close to it. And if you're talking about a guy who's like a real legitimate, like this guy is a future NHL kind of a goalie, this is hardly a, uh, a blanket statement for sure, but generally you would want him to at least be good his entire career as a, and let alone great, you know, um, yeah. like for, I, it, for example, Jimmy Howard, right? Like he came into Maine, Ben Bishop is another one guy came in and just like right away, bam. Okay. This guy's incredible. Jonathan quick is another one. Uh, Connor Hellebuck, um, you know, and there are very few goalies that they certainly exist, but there are very few goalies who become reliable NHL type, you know, like even like backups, really, uh, who aren't like, ooh, boy, that guy's really good right away, you know? Um, right. And so the other thing I do want to caution about that, though, is that with Petrozelli and specifically the team he plays for, which is Quinnipiac, um, they were a team that just always had weirdly bad percentages, like for years and years and years. A guy would come in, ooh, he looks like he's going to be a really good player. Uh, or, you know, and then, you know, he, he scores a bunch of goals, but he shoots like 7.5%, or the whole team shoots 8%, or whatever it is. And uh, I think a lot of that was the system they played, which like was kind of very, um, 
not in terms of style, but in terms of like the outcomes and stuff like that, like a Los Angeles Kings dynasty era where it's like they take a million shots and just barely enough go in that they win more games than they lose. Um, or yeah. or Vegas. Vegas now is, is another good example where whatever it is that makes them so dominant possession-wise, they're not necessarily turning that into like elite scoring chance numbers and elite goal numbers. And it was kind of the same the other direction where they were giving up a ton of shots, but the shots they did give up were pretty high quality. Um, and that's kind of changed over the last several years because I think Quinnipiac kind of saw that as like, you know what, we're just getting to the NCAA tournament and getting washed every year now. <laughs> and that's better than nothing. But like to take that next step, we kind of have to figure out a way where we can kind of do both. Um, and well, yeah, like, like, and just doing like uh, base level research, and we're gonna have to take this with a grain of salt because uh, the <laughs> elite prospects might be listing a few extra games here for Keith. Um, <laughs> it does say ten games played, so I I'm okay, ten. Side yeah, I I'm sure they played out. I have to be honest with you. I'm not like no, uh, I no, no. decided this year. I'm not gonna be like usually. I'm writing about college hockey every single week and stuff like that. I, I just decided I'm not gonna do that this year. Like the way I look at the sport is very like well, let's dig into the numbers and see why this is that and that's this, right? Uh, well, that's how I gotta again, like we were talking about me and my pro wrestling habits. We got <laughs> got pulled back to live a life. Right. Um, well, it's it's not even that. It's just like like I said earlier. You know, some games, some teams have played. At, I, I looked at this like this week. Uh, yeah. Some as many teams has played twelve plus games, like twelve or more, or eleven or more, or whatever the number is, has played like four or five or less, like the same number. It's like fifteen in either direction, and it's like, yeah, gotcha. I don't know how to compare those two teams to one another. You know what I mean? Well, like. No, a hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I wasn't calling you out there or anything. No, I, no, I wanted no, to I, say, like, um, there, there. To your point of, um, of Petrozelli and his numbers, they have two other goalies on staff. Uh, Evan Fear with one of the best names probably in college hockey, uh, and Josh Mayanya. I'm, I'm gonna throw that out there and okay, cross my finger. Yeah. They're both posting a thousand save percentage uh, collectively yeah, I'm sure they, in four I'm games. Sure they've- I'm sure they've come in and mop up duty a couple of times or, right. or whatever, you know, um, just to, just to get them some ice time. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's uh, what I guess my ultimate point is, I think Petrozelli is a perfectly good goalie. I don't know that that means he's going to ever be the kind of guy you're where you're like rubbing your hands together, like the Birdman gift. And going, who can't wait till <laughs> Keith Petrozelli's on the big club? Like, well, it could happen, I guess, but like, I, I'm not, I'm not betting on it. It, it always feels like with goalies too. It's such, it's such a coin flip because I, I was trying to like come into this conversation, and I'm like, all right. I mean, you could get one good season out of Jordan Bennington, but it, it took eight years for him to go from draft day to, get, to getting a full time job. Even be- not even a right. full-time job. He went He went from, like, he's an okay AHL goalie for, like, eight right. years to, oh, you know what? Actually, he's, like, one of the five best goalies in the world for four months, and then he's right <laughs> back to being fine. 
and that right. Um, I have a whole thing with like Jordan Bennington, super overrated, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, no, mean, I, like, I mean, like I said, when earlier, I, when like, I did not go ahead. I was watching when I was watching. I saw Jimmy Howard play every every season of his college hockey. I think he played three years at Maine. Uh, I saw every single one of them, and I never looked at him and was like, this is a guy who's going to play in the NHL for 15 years. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, he's definitely good. He's probably an NHL player. Is he a guy who's going to be a starter for one of the best teams in the NHL over the bulk of his career? Uh, I I wouldn't have said that. But then again, hey, Red Wings, Chris Osgood, right? You you don't necessarily have to be the best goalie in the world. You, you, can... I, you know, there there were all the Red Wings fans hoping we were going to get Askarov in this past draft, and it's like, no, don't just cross your fingers, man. Roll the dice, get the Lucas Raymond, and then hope everything else just kind of yeah. works out. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, the number of how many goalies did I did I just talk about that you know turned right. into legitimate NHL players out of college hockey? Jonathan Quick was like a fourth or fifth round pick. Connor Hellebuck was like a fifth or sixth round pick. Jimmy Howard was like second or third, maybe. Um, Corey Schneider, I don't, I think, was maybe a late first, maybe, maybe. Um, you know, so yeah, like you know, for every Ben Bishop was certainly a later pick. Um, but for every guy like a Tuka Rask, where it's like, oh yeah, he was, he went, whatever, he went twentieth overall. Um, for, yeah. for every guy like that, there's like four goalies in the NHL who were fourth round picks. So, right, and, and a lot of this comes from uh, I think it was uh, Corey Proudman recently wrote. Man, the Red Wings could not have more goaltender prospects, and they could not be lower on the list of <laughs> strong candidates for an NHL job. So, all, all of this comes from you know, is there any hope in that regard? But uh, I'll be honest, you did a wonderful job actually answering that question before I even asked it. So I think, like, the important thing, um, the Red Wings fans always need to, to come at this stuff with a level head. And um, I, I think you've done a great job of, of describing how we should come at Petrozelli. But now I, I'm hoping to get how we should come at this this upcoming season. And uh, part of the reason I've gotten, uh, as, as some of the fans of the show have heard, I've gotten uh, local media, we've gotten the national media. But I, 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 I like to think we get a more honest opinion because you're not necessarily looking to, and I'll be completely honest here. You're not, you're not looking to rub elbows with, uh, you know, the players on a daily basis, like the local media does. So you don't have to necessarily, like you could be as honest as possible and you don't have to worry yeah, about well, it. My, my whole thing. And I'm sure I'm 100% positive. It has helped me back in my career. <coughs> Excuse me. Is, um, <laughs> is that I'm like, Oh, I, I like, I don't go, Ooh, yeah, he, you know, he's had a couple of bad seasons, but he might bomb. I go, oh, that guy sucks. That's it, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah. uh, One last thing I did want to say about the Petrozelli thing. That ties into your thing about brand loyalty and all that. And even the thing you just said about, like, the local media has to, you know, sell a product and keep the sources happy and all that shit. Um, Everybody... In every sport ever uh, that is a fan of a team more than the sport, first and foremost, right? Right. Um, everybody like that 
looks at their prospects and goes, that guy's a future NHL superstar. Every single one. There was nobody, like, <laughs> no, certainly nobody gets drafted, like, in the first round or whatever, and people are going, that's a future uh, bottom six forward, right? <laughs> nobody ever says that. But that happens all the time, right? And so... That guy's the next Terry Ryan. Sorry, he's he's got a show on the Hockey Podcast Network. So I okay, I, yeah, that's what I mean. but but you know what I mean though is like, you know, every everybody that gets and then perfect example is Detroit because well look we got Pavel Datsuk in the seventh round or he might have been the right. sixth and and Zetterberg was the seventh but you get the point It's like right but like. If they knew that Pavel Datsuk was Pavel Datsuk, they would have taken him first overall. Absolutely. Like, you are just, especially once you get out of, like, the first two rounds, you are just closing your eyes and throwing a dart at the dartboard. You're You're not lining anything up. You can identify guys who maybe have this or that going for them, but, like, as a general rule, everybody in baseball, hockey, I don't know, uh, basketball to a lesser extent, football, I don't know anything about. But uh, you need to dial back your expectations for your prospects because you're just going to get pissed off at them when they when they don't live up to the unreasonable like projections you've built up in your head. And that's true also for the Red Wings as a whole or, you know, any team that's improved. Okay. <laughs> the Red Wings improved. The Red Wings improved this summer. Absolutely, no question about it. Right. Right. But but they were when you're below the basement. I like. It's not even that they were. They were the like one of the historically worst teams Absolutely. in modern hockey. So the baseline you're going from is, well, we were like giving up four and a half goals a game or whatever the number was. And now we might score two and a half because we went out and got a bunch of like 31 year olds that Steve Eiserman is 100% going to flip for assets at the deadline. <laughs> and then like, yeah, so I mean, like you, there's, oh, there's already a the trade rumors of Mark Stahl being moved too. Right. Yeah. And I mean, who wants Mark Stahl? But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's 100% a situation where it's like you absolutely improved. The Ottawa Senators 100% improved this offseason. Those are the two worst teams in the league last year. Right. Uh, so what good does it do you? Like, you know, it, it, <laughs> if it made, what, what did Detroit finish with points-wise last year? Like 40, something like that, right? right? Yeah, 17 wins, yeah. Right. So, okay. How many extra wins do you think getting a bunch of guys for like one and a half million dollars buys you? Right. I, I even think if we took it from like an analytics perspective, even like Don Lachiz and, and his models was like five extra wins. So you're yeah. still dead last. Right. No, that's, and that's, and that's exactly right. The one thing I would say about that though, as a word of caution and to circle back to goaltending is I mean, goaltending last year was like, a like sub AHL level, but in the NHL, right? Like eight from, I, for Howard, whatever it was, like unbelievable. From the uh, we did we did make the argument from the shots that Bernier faced. 
he was like a top 10 goalie. Uh, and I know that's just me. That's me going too deep. What, you, what do you mean by that? So, like, uh, expected goals, like if, again? yeah, if you look at from like how expected goals is calculated and you see the shot, the shots that Bernier had to face compared to other goaltenders and the fact so that he still came in with like a nine ten save percentage by the end right, of the year. Okay. Yes. So but what, we, but what I'm like Jimmy is, Howard was just such dog shit. It didn't matter. Yes. Like it, <laughs> right. But what I'm saying is, so they went out and oh, who did they get? They stuck with Bernier, right? Right. Who who's the goal? Who are the goalies in Detroit now? It's and now, and now we've got. Now we've got Grice coming in. Grice. And I think Grice is good. Like, I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm like, you know, th- this isn't going to turn your season around or anything. But, like, the extent to which goaltending makes or breaks a team's success, like, it's very, yeah. very rare that, like, a team with 900 goaltending does uh, anything. This right? is hilarious because I, I have this queued up that one of my questions to you was, how high of a save percentage do do Grice and Bernier need to come up with for us to be a playoff team this year? Nine forty. <laughs> oh, Jesus! All right. I, I, All right. I, 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 exactly I, I'm what I wanted to, to sit down and crunch the numbers, but like the answer is <laughs> too high for you to be reasonably right. expecting it. And and that's you know that's fine. That's you're you're a rebuilding team. Who gives a shit? Lose every game. That that's the point. Yeah. Right? If you're rebuilding, right. be horrible. No, that's not true. Don't be horrible. Be as bad as you can be to lose every game, but have the guys who you want to trade look good. That's it. You, that's, that's the goal did, of a, a losing team. You came up with uh, listening to Puck Soup. I don't, I don't know if you do want to take credit for this, but uh, you gave me the phrase passively tanking. Uh, so I, I've been using that ever since. Uh, do you still look at this as passively tanking? Oh, or no, they, are are, actively, they are actively... They were... What, so when I say passively tanking is, uh, we actually think we're this close to being good. Uh, okay. If one or two things breaks our way, we're going to do it. Like, we're going to be in good shape to, uh, you know, uh, the classic example is the, you know, toward the end of Jerome Ginla's career in Calgary. They were, you know, they were finishing every year, like four or five points out of the playoffs. And they're like, look, if we just win two of those games, we're in. You know, right? Um, and so, you know, they they wasted the last few years of those guys' careers, and instead of trading Jerome McGinley when he's like twenty nine or thirty or whatever he was when they finally ended up like uh, deciding, you know what, maybe we will trade him at the end of this year. Trade him a year before that, and ooh. Boy, don't you get so many more picks, right? But because they stuck with it and the team around him was so bad, uh, they were just bad. And then, and they both they accomplished the goal of finishing whatever, like with the twelfth pick in the draft, and therefore never getting a player who's good enough to make an impact while Jerome McGinley is still on the team, right? And that happened right. with Henrik Zetterberg. The even like basically it was the thing of. The second Pavel Datsuk retired, the Red Wings won the fucking toilet, right? Yeah. Like, no, and but like, and even but they even started trending down when Lindstrom retired, and then like the second Zetterberg couldn't go anymore, it was like lights, you know, turn the lights out, we're done here. Um, but Ken Holland didn't realize that for another two years, right? And so instead of trading Zetterberg and going, you know what? Thanks for your service. You want a couple of cups? I'm, 
think he won two there, right? Uh, you won a couple of cups. We went to a couple of other cup cup, cup finals. We appreciate right. it, but we got to move your ass for a first round pick and an A prospect because you're 34, and you are, you will never be more valuable than you are now. And we're not like just making the playoffs is not a should not be an organizational goal. Just make more than half the teams in the league make the playoffs. So that, you are absolutely like speaking blasphemy right now to uh, no. to Red Wings fans. Well, so <laughs> great. I don't know. I see. This is a, this is an, a very very old school thing. Um, yeah. Like hockey, like old school hockey. Like when I first started, like first three four years, I was writing for Yahoo. I was like, boy, the wheels are going to fall off this Red Wings team any minute now. You know what I mean? <laughs> because because I'm like everybody's. 30 plus everybody's signed for too long for too many dollars. And, you know, it took longer than I expected because frankly, Pavel Datsuk held up better than I expected that most players do. And so um, like Red Wings fans circle like 2012, 13 hated my fucking guts because I was like, (laughs) Justin Applicator sucks. What are we talking about? Right. how does he fetch that? And and you know it. You know if you if you say a team like if you say a team's not going to be good for long enough, eventually they're not going to be that good anymore, right? Well, look, um, it's it's the problem of of like there's too much marketing. I think in the the top from from the the top of any NHL franchise, there, there's too much of this. Uh, like when the Red Wings were selling tickets at the end of the season, be a part of the chase for 25 straight years of playoffs. And I, I've always right. like fought, like, I don't want to go to the playoffs and get my ass kicked. What the yeah. fuck? Like, what no, the I, fuck were we I, doing? I agree with you. Like, I think, if yeah. I mean, my philosophy is the top eight teams in the league, give or take any given year, uh, can win the Stanley cup because it's kind of just randomized after a certain point, you know? Right. Um, and the bottom eight teams are really, really, really bad, generally speaking. And yeah, but that leaves you with like fifteen teams in the middle where it's like, you know what? We were two wins or losses away from either making or not making the playoffs. Like total coin flip shit. This guy had the flu one night, kind of a kind of a thing that it adds right. up over the course of eighty-two games. And I, you know, I'm. I am kind of like a, if you're not in that top eight, you should be in that bottom eight because that's how you yep. get really good players for free. Yeah, we, we we were forced to pivot our message to being a little bit happier last season. Is last season being our first uh, run through, we realized, oh, we're not getting listeners because uh, nobody wants to hear us say, hey, let's uh, lose every game so we can have a good draft pick. Uh, like, and, we, and look, like, I... The thing is, it's so antithetical to what sport should be. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh, sports. Like, because uh, you should try to win every game is, is what. But, like, if you're the GM of a team with a roster as bad as the Red Wings was the last three or four years, right. it's kind of like you are in a situation where you're just kind of, like, playing it for your own sake and you're not, like, actually a steward for the team. Like, Ken Holland could have pulled the shoot on the streak at 23 years or 22 or whatever. You know, I don't know. It's still respectable. It's more than respectable. That's incredible. 
<laughs> with that having been said, right? Like, but he was like, well, fuck it. Because the second we miss the playoffs, I'm getting fired. And I don't want to fire. I make like four. I can't fire a guy for twenty-five straight years of playoffs. But even, but even that, like, it's just, it's just. If I keep making the playoffs, right? That's the streak still alive, and we love Henrik Zetterberg, and he's the last link to. Hey, remember, he used to play with Nicholas Lidstrom, and Nicholas Lidstrom, he used to play with like Steve Eiserman and and, uh, and Fedorov and all those guys. You remember them? They were great. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, those, those guys are cool. Um, and like you know, you're just you're trying to sell tickets. You're trying to sell tickets, and right. the idea is that people don't go to see losing teams. But you know, you could be the Buffalo Sabers. Remember, remember uh, when the Sabers lost to the Coyotes in the shootout, and their fans cheered because it was like. Yeah, this is the, we're the two tanking teams in the league this year. We really want either Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel, and we're guaranteed to get one of them if we finish last. And it's like, you know, like what? Let me put it this way: how many how many Eichel jerseys and tickets to Sabres games have they sold to make up for the lost revenue from when the team was terrible? By now. How many? How many? I, I think they're right. probably broken even on that. On that, honestly, because that's how many jerseys and and tickets and pretzels and fucking whatever, all all the shit that you right. can buy at a hockey game. That's how many of those things a Jack Eichel is worth. And you know um, the the way the lottery's set up now, obviously. You, it's iffier than that. Like you, you can finish dead last and, and oh. not get the first pick or really the second no. pick. <laughs> How uh, about that? <laughs> no, I, but like, like all, the, all the tears in Detroit. No, I, I know. Yeah, I know but like, they, they, like, but still, get the get the best player available. He, you're going to sell a lot of his shirts, and you know, if you're a team like the Red Wings, people aren't going to be like, you know what. I'm just not going to watch the Red Wings this year. People love the fucking Red Wings, you know? Right. So, so like, there is there, certainly attendance will dip, um, but, like, there's always that baseline level of support. This isn't the Arizona Coyotes where if they're not even remotely playoff competitive, they get 8,000 people. There's a baseline where there's just never going to be a less, less interest than that for the Detroit Red Wings. So pull the fucking shoot and load up on bad talent Lose it because that's the thing about tanking is players aren't trying to lose, coaches aren't trying to lose, GMs should be trying to lose. You put together a bad roster and you go, This is the roster for this year, you figure it out. <laughs> and I, I, I like to put that towards a lot of arguments we've been having too about uh, people wanting to fire Jeff Blaschel. Now, I'm not saying he's doing a good job, but I don't see the point of putting in a new coach to, <laughs> to run this team into the ground. Just let it continue. Let let Jeff. If yeah. Jeff really is the worst coach, I'm not saying he is, but let him run it into the ground. Like there's no yeah, point until we're ready to on that. Because here's the thing: if you gave him the Tampa Bay Lightning as a roster, like Jeff Blaschel and John Cooper switch jobs right now, how many extra wins do you think uh, John, John Cooper is worth to the Red Wings with this roster versus how much do you think Blaschel pulls down? 
But exactly. Like, I, like I, when I, we get when we get that model, that like when we get that model, that person is, uh, you know, I don't know. The 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 government's going to get involved and have to peel apart their brain to see how they came up with that because it's just. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that, you know, you know what I mean, though. It's just like absolutely. How how could you possibly evaluate how good of a job Jeff Lashell does with this team when this is the roster he's had for the last three years or what? However long he's been the coach. I have no I mean, idea like, if he's any good at this. To me, the only thing, like if he was walking into practice and slipping on banana peels, like that's where it's like, all right, this guy's a mess. But until that happens, he's but still competent thing, enough to coach this team to last place. But the other, other thing is, that should be the point. Yeah. That should be the point. If you're bad, you don't want a coach who's helping you be good. You just want a coach who's helping make your young players' skills develop properly and putting them in a position where they can load up points on the power play and look good, but also, uh, you know, they're not, like, out there against Connor McDavid and and Nikita Kucherov every night because you don't want kids – you don't want your kids to get pummeled by better players. You want to put <laughs> them in a position where it's like, Whoa, you had a really good game tonight because you had two points against the third line of this other team. I don't, I don't know how you feel about this film, but my brother and I have always called it the Seabiscuit Syndrome, where you got to teach your horse how to be a horse again. Uh, mm-hmm. The old Topher Grace, Jeff Bridges. So oh, I, I saw it. Best Picture nominee, 2003, maybe? 2003, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Uh, so basically, what we're I'll saying is, uh, when they when they made Seabiscuit a winner, he had to go. He went up against crappy horses so that he could feel what it you know what does it feel like to win again. So you got well, to got that. And he also the other thing with Seabiscuit is he liked to look the other horse in the eye and be like, "Fuck you, faster <laughs> than you now," right? Like, and and you have to like if you just put him out there against what, what was the the big horse War Admiral, I think. Uh, yep. War Horse so, or War Admiral? It was I. It, I think it was War Admiral. And you you could go out there and you go like if if you run him behind War Admiral, he's gonna he's just gonna be like, well, shit, I'm not catching that guy. Look how fast he is, right? <laughs> and that's and that's the same thing. If you're putting out your you know. Uh, uh, Mo Cedar, right? You're putting Lord Cedar out there against Carmen David. Oh, he's gonna look like dog shit. He's gonna look awful, right? But if you put Lord right. Cedar out there against Jujar Hot Kyra, oh, suddenly I don't know why I have them playing the Edmonton Oilers so much uh, in this scenario. They're not going to play them at all this year. So it's a bad <laughs> But like, oh, okay, uh, you know who's in their division is Florida. You're not putting them out there against. Uh, against Sasha Barkov because he's going to look bad. He's going to get he's going to get lit up. Sasha Barkov is going to eat his lunch. But if you're putting him out there against I don't I don't even know who's on the Panthers fourth line, and that's the point. Put him out there against <laughs> those guys. <laughs> so I I can't help but take the low hanging fruit, but uh, you know that just means that Soderblom's never going to be successful because he's he's too tall. He's just, he's never going to be eye to eye with anybody uh, now that Chara is uh, making his dance around the league. Okay. I've held on to you way longer than I said uh, I was going to, but uh, can I, can I get one more? I, I want to get your best guess. So this could be, this could be a laugh and then you throw out a number if you want. <laughs> but 
Uh, your best guess on a timetable for the Red Wings to become, like you mentioned before, those top eight teams. So not just like a playoff, you know, bubble team, but how, how long is it going to take for the Iser plan to to take uh, to take shape? How long did it take in Tampa? Now, granted, he came in with the, they had Stamco. Yeah, he I came in with had, the headman. And, uh, they had yeah. headman already. <laughs> so they had two insanely good players right away. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I don't think anybody's putting uh, anybody the Red Wings have up, up against, like, you know, first coming into the I, what was Hedman was like a second overall pick, I think, or yep. third maybe. Um, so mm, you, ne- you need at least two of those guys to even start really being able to have that kind of a conversation. Um, it's very, very, and you don't necessarily have to get them in the first round. I'm not saying, you know, you have to pick first overall, but that's get lucky with the coach in the second. Right. Well, you know, uh, Patrice Bergeron is is a, it was a second round pick and, 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 you know, you can go down the list. There's plenty of guys who are all stars who were like third rounders or whatever, but generally speaking, you need two game breaking talents. One of whom is definitely a center. Uh, preferably the other would be a defenseman. You know, again, we're talking about uh, a Jonathan Taves, a Duncan Keith, and a Patrick Kane. Like, once they had those three guys in Chicago, for example, and that's another team that was just kind of scraping along, finishing like 14th in the league or whatever for years and years and years. And they got three really good players in the draft. And then, like, within three years, they were one, I think they won a cup once they were all yep. together. Um. So I'm going to say three years to get those kinds of players or to get enough lottery tickets that you might be able to uh, gin up those kinds of players. And then two to three years after that, five to six years. Whew. Oh, boy. All right. Strap in, Wings fans. Um, <laughs> it happened, I, I with, guess, it yeah. happened with the Penguins, happened with the Lightning, happened with the Capitals. Yeah. Like, go down the list of great teams of the era. The San Jose Sharks are another perfect example. Go down the list of the great teams of the era. You need them. You, you need like five or six years for everything to kind of come together. It's just how it is. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the same. Like uh, when when the Red Wings started uh, lighting everybody on fire in the nineties, it was an eleven year build. So that uh... yeah, the, the fall of the Soviet Union uh, kind of helped hasten Thank that God. rebuild. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you're. With all of this having been said, five or six years from now, don't come to me. If it, sometimes it hey, come on, Ryan. Teams take all the time. Look how bad the Arizona Coyotes were for a million years. They never, they've never turned in anything, you know. Right. Um, and it, it, it doesn't. It's that's just how it goes sometimes. Like you, the Edmonton Oilers are another good example, right? Like even now they have the best player or the most talented player in the world, certainly, and. Uh, uh, the guy who just won the MVP and people are like, Oh, they might be a playoff team next year. Right. You know, I, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always work out where I think part of the thing with, with wings fans and, and going back to marketing, what a genius, I mean, like it, as if it wasn't going to happen, but bringing Steve Eiserman in as, as GM gives you like three or four years, I think to suck without a single complaint from the fan yep, base. I agree. Totally. Uh, totally. 
But uh, I think that's what, like, we're saying Iserman came in. Now, he's been very mum on any sort of timetable. That's uh, one of our first yeah, jokes why, in the show. Why, why would he say that? Why would right. he be like, you know what, give me four years? Because oh. then four years comes, and the team still sucks. And he's like, uh-oh, you know, everybody's <laughs> mad at me. Uh, the uh, NHL draft 2019, I think it was uh, Catherine Tappan. Is, uh, so what, what do you see as a timetable? And there was no answer. Just uh, uh, for we'll get there, I, maybe we'll get there. You, the longest twelve you'll seconds. Know, you'll know that's <laughs> the answer. If I when I get to where I need us to be, you won't have to ask me. Is this it? You'll know it's it because we'll be winning a shitload of games. We'll be a hundred point team every year, and like again, that might not happen. It literally just sometimes it doesn't work out when a team tanks. Um, but I think Iserman is smart enough that he's taking the right approach where it's like, well, why don't we just get every draft pick we possibly can? <laughs> like, for yeah, real, and, it, that's and he's right got the strategy. Like, if there's anything he's been consistent with is that people ask him about free agents. They ask him about what's going on, you know, outside of, of uh, the Red Wings organization. And he says, no, we're just focused on what we can bring in through the draft. That's priority yeah. one. And then we'll figure out free agents whenever that makes sense. That's that's down the line. Not that and he didn't bring in free agents this year, but he's not, you know, I'm pretty sure no, we're not going like, to go after Duck. He, he's saying, like, we're not going to try to get Taylor Hall. What would right. be the point? Right. And, so, and again, you have proof of concept. He, what, he took the, the lightning from they have a few good players to they are world beaters. They are a juggernaut. And it took him a couple of kicks at the can, but they finally won the cup. Because you know what? It's really fucking hard to win the cup. You can be one of the top eight teams, but there's seven other teams in that top eight that are probably have roughly as good of a chance as you do, between one and seven and one and four. So, <laughs> you know what? If you if you go to the Stanley Cup final four times, you have a one in four chance of winning. Odds are you're only going to win once, and they won once now. And it was after I was but he pretty much built that entire team. And anytime anybody says to him, hey, you know, the Red Wings, and I'll leave you with this, hey, that like they, they come to you and you're like, hey, the Red Wings, you know, I don't know how, how this rebuild's going. I don't know how I feel about it. He just goes, look at how good that other team I built was. I wasn't, that was the first time I was a GM. Right. And I did that. Pretty much from scrap. I had three players who I wanted to keep, and the rest of them I got rid of over the course of five years. And then they won a Stanley Cup after going to two other Stanley Cup finals. I don't know what else I need to do to prove to you that I, Steve Eiserman, know what I'm doing. And you're just Lord a and guy savior. who's like... But do, do you remember when Nicholas Lidstrom was like, yeah, I used to, I know Nicholas Lidstrom. That's it. <laughs> He's, He's my man. Friend. He, I know, I like been to his house many times. You just saw him on TV, so you. I put a forward in his book. <laughs> don't come to me and say, Steve, <laughs> what's going on? I have it under control. Just assume that. That's it. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, I've got my soundbite now for the show. Like I said, I, I had an absolute blast. I hope you had fun. And uh, yeah. thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me.